0: This is the movie hall of fame class of 2004 for friday october 2nd 2020 there's adam hall i hope you're well rested
1: i'm i'm, I'm good i'm good i'm here because i'm not what do you mean you're not oh not well rested well, well rested no because you were busy last night doing other stuff i've been
0: busy every night watching things pimping and whatnot as nico loves to do yeah about there uh pimping <laughs>
1: The, the thought Getting of you girls in line. The thought of you as a pimp just just amuses me to no end. It seriously does.
0: The only thing that would make sense would be that fur jacket.
1: <laughs>
0: that fur coat. I could rock that thing and you know it.
1: What? Did you have temptations of rocking a fur jacket in high school? It just never came to fruition. Oh. I mean,
0: yeah, I tried. I I have a fur coat in my closet down. It's not mine. It's my mother's. Well, that's what he's... That's the But as a, a child, I used to put it on.
1: I think it's the closest thing I have to wearing drag. <laughs> Isn't that what they always say? It's not mine. It's my mother's. It's my <laughs> sister's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nico. That's right. what they always say. Wh- whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> I knew someone in college who... Would frequently show up to parties, like normal parties, not costume. Yeah. Just let's hang out and drink and fuck. <laughs> he shows up wearing a Star Lord leather jacket. Wow. Touch the ground. He, wow. You know? Yeah. With the like the fur inside. I don't know if it had fur inside, but it had like the gun holsters and shit. It was like an authentic jacket from Guardians of the Galaxy. And, I would, and he was a, he's, a, he's a good friend of mine. And I would always go up to him and be like, Chibs, what are you, what are you doing, man? What is this thing you're wearing? And, and his answer was? It's like, uh, <laughs> Chibs likes to be bold. <laughs> he talks in the third person as well.
0: Wait a minute. First of all, you have a friend named Chibs. <laughs> yep. And secondly, he refers to himself as Chibs. <laughs> yeah. Can I meet Chibs? <laughs> Want to know what his last name is? Chibs is not his last name? Nope. Chibs is his first name? His full name. And he refers to himself as Chibs. Do you want to hear this man? His say- last name is not Chibs? No. I assume <laughs> his name was like John Chibs and you call him Chibs. <laughs> nope. Nope. Chibs. What kind of first name is Chibs? He is... Uh, can I do a podcast with Chibs?
1: Oh my God, yes. Oh, this is the f- most disturbingly funny man you will ever meet. Can we get Chibs on the pod? I could try. I mean, my brother just hung out with him like a couple weeks what ago. What do you mean you can
0: try? i'll ask chibs him. don't do podcasts he loved, does he, he say that about himself in he, the third person he might like chibs uh, don't pod chibs is up to stuff chibs you know? cast
1: chibs has been looking at you <laughs> chibs would like to get to know you <laughs> he would though no he's an interesting guy what's his last name his full name because he's african uh-huh. his full name is Chibacum anyabuchi now that's just like a playground joke. Nope. It is Chibicum on Yabuchi. Oh, that's amazing. Chibicum on... Oh, my God. I can't even... <laughs> Chibicum
2: on Yabuchi.
1: <laughs> Chibicum on Yabuchi, all right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I
0: want Chibs on here right now. Was Chibs born in Africa?
1: Yep. Nice. He talks very negatively about Africa, which is always amusing. Hearing his opinions on Africa in today's uh, woke culture... I don't know. Well, I assume it's,
0: Africa's not fun for the people that live in it. I mean, it's fun for the people that safari in it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. He just has a lot of... What uh, country
0: in Africa is he from? Do you know?
1: Ethiopia? Nice. I want to say. I, I
0: want shibs on the pod.
1: He's the man, dude. He is the fucking man. Strange, strange cat, but oh my God, he's just a delight in, in all the the best wrong ways.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're talking movies yeah i i am uh, i'm very exhausted because i've just been watching nonstop politics and sports and really what's the difference between the two
1: at this point absolutely none
0: are you kidding me there really is no difference
1: yeah we have we have debate parties now man
0: it's not just super bowl parties it's debate parties that's right oh my god a lot going on in the world so i'm happy now to seek refuge in the world of movies yeah, except, we were going to do the year 1963 this week, but we had to postpone.
1: Yeah, I know, and I had to watch uh, uh, a couple. Um, I, I wanted to rewatch uh, Eight and a Half, and I still need to watch um, uh, Jesus. Um, what am I trying to say? High and low. Okay, but I did watch It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh yeah, and we'll talk about that. We'll say that. Oh yeah, you know, th- yeah. That, that was a, that was a that was a time. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> a yeah, very long time. We. Um, but yeah, we we swapped to an interesting year. That's we, um, you. I mean, I I don't love this era of film, but you talk even more negatively about it than I do. Yeah. But much to my surprise, when we were uh, picking out some films, I was actually surprised by how good this year uh,
0: is. Well, it, it's surprisingly good, in my opinion. I felt the same way. I felt a similar way. I don't think it is a coincidence that this list is dominated by comedies. This mm. is the most comedy-heavy list we've had. I think, ever on this show. Yeah. And we do generally have a bias towards more genre stuff and more drama uh, in our selections. I don't think there are very many comedies that are actually on that Movie Hall of Fame list. So maybe this will be an an opportunity to induct one of them. I don't know. Um, But I I do think like this was a very specific um, low point in American film (laughs) just because there were not a lot of strong voices behind the camera making movies at this time or if they were making movies at this time they were not making their best work i would yeah i would probably agree there's
1: an interesting like lack of identity i would say yeah it, it's it's funny like the identity of this era is that lack of identity and very few of like the mainstream fare actually like sticks out to me which is why like when i think back to the 2000s it's always like the late 2000s when things started to get really good it was incredible oh my god there was a
0: three or four year span there that's like i would put that up with any Genre or any era of movie, it happens a little sooner. Like I,
1: I like two thousand five and on. Um, but like, man, yeah, like two thousand to two thousand three, like that chunk is just, it's rough. It's not good.
0: You know, in in, I've talked about this before. I think in many ways, this is sort of the studio system. You know, getting their revenge. You know what I mean? (laughs) This is after the nineties, after Harvey Weinstein like changed the distribution model and the independent boom really took off. And this was sort of the studio system, again, imposing their regulations and their rules on what was a very loose, like, sort of indie scene in the, in the 90s. You but know what I mean? But it's cyclical, you know? Does yeah, that, of course. That, that
1: happened in, with the 80s, and it, and again, the, in the 90s, they bounced back to more independent fare, and then, yeah, like you just said, with the 2000s, they started to reign dominant. Right. Um, I, I don't know how you would categorize the 2010s. I, I think... It's sort of like a blending of the two in a weird way. Well, no,
0: I think at the beginning, you did see a lot of like really distinct independent voices getting big budgets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm thinking like to the early two thousands movies like zero dark 30 or silver linings playbook or, you know, even something like Argo, like there are not many movies like Argo anymore. True. You know, and now it's just all superheroes and the beginning of the superhero thing, as we now know, it began at the early 2010s. But <laughs> yeah, I think there was a period I would say maybe from 2008 to 2012. That was like, a real sort of hot spot for a very specific kind of adult movie. Okay. I agree, man. I might even go further than
1: that. Like when you look at 2014, like that's a cool year for movies. Yeah. With like what was whiplash 2014 whiplash birdman boyhood. And then 2015, we sort of peak with fury road and then, yeah, but fury road is not really what I'm talking about. No, yet. I know. I know. Yeah that's like the best of both worlds in terms of sure like 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 blockbuster budgets that are just mainstream candy
0: right you know in a weird way but But, that are also like incredible films so the point that i'm trying to make though is that in 2004 there were not a lot of those voices but what you did have were a lot of very charismatic comedic leads (laughs) this was i think during one of snl's like Creative Peaks. This is when Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Will Ferrell were all on the show Mm -hmm. Um, and they were given you know, a lot of money to make big studio projects and I think in many cases that worked out for the best. Um, You had guys that were sort of coming up that were inspired by the sort of 70s, 80s horror genre. Uh, I'm thinking of Edgar Wright specifically and he's sort of doing his own riff on that in 2004 with a movie we're about to talk about. And, you know, you do have still directors like Michael Mann getting big budgets to make big movies, big feeling movies. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, the genre stuff, the independent stuff, I would say it's a low point. But in terms of comedy, like, yeah, I just think it was sort of a right place, right time for a lot of these people. It's nice to see, too.
1: Although the funny thing about it is that, in my opinion, it didn't get much better than this. No, it didn't. In terms of like, the, like the comedic pieces that you were talking about, it's like this is pretty much. I mean, with Edgar Wright, uh, uh, I think his his subsequent film is funnier. I'm a much bigger fan of that movie a- actually, uh-huh. but um, it's still like what he delivered here is still like a, a well-renowned classic anyway. Yeah. So at least he earned his ranks. But um, as far as like, I will get to uh, Will Ferrell specifically. But, yeah. But yeah, it, in my opinion, this is like. Uh, it, it's nice to look back on because it, it, to me this is kind of as good as it gets
0: it is I, this might be the last great year of American comedy and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm actually really interested to delve deeper into these movies because I think they all represent a very different subsection of American comedy and I think and, and or in British comedy I guess in one case um, and I think like one still holds up and movies in that vein are still being made and they're still very good and I think the other two fell into sort of self parody or i guess have been done to death and that formula has just become totally worn out okay do you agree with that and do you know which movies i'm talking about uh <laughs> i'm not sure well i guess not
1: okay <laughs> i guess i don't
0: well let's get into it class of 2004 your nominees mean girls anchorman the legend of ron burgundy Shaun of the dead the incredibles sideways and collateral I had many honorable mentions, and I think that this is going to illustrate your point perfectly here. Mm -hmm. Um, There were a bunch of movies that we talked about in the past that we didn't want to nominate again. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind being one of them. Friday Night Lights, Mm -hmm. Howl's Moving Castle, Before Sunset, Million Dollar Baby, all came out 2004.
1: This is a good year.
0: It is a good year. Certainly. Those are all good movies. Um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban came out. Yep, Big studio release. Hopefully I will never see that movie.
1: It's a f- it's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's great.
0: Uh, what I was mentioning before, some like interesting auteurs like Quentin Tarantino, they were making Kill Bill Volume 2 in 2004. Mm-hmm. So it just sort of a, yeah. you know, a, a, just an amalgamation of things that led to kind of a underwhelming early 2000s. Spider-Man 2, though, came out really good blockbuster. Shrek 2 also came out that year. Incidentally, Shrek 2, the number one highest grossing movie of 2004.
1: I like Shrek 2. I do, too. Yeah, I like it a lot.
0: Remember when Shrek was like
1: the biggest thing ever? Yeah, Shrek is still the biggest thing ever. <laughs> don't don't talk sorely about Shrek. I fucking love Shrek.
0: <laughs> Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Movie I love. Maybe one day we'll talk about that. The Notebook came out in 2004, as well as Saw, the first Saw, Saw uh, movie came out. And I really like that first Saw movie. Never seen it. Thank God. The Aviator came out that year, again.
1: It's another one that I kind of would have liked to have talked
0: about, because I think it's quite good, but yeah i
1: feel like it's been brought up a lot with us still it's yeah. like
0: okay we we get it it always comes back to scorsese with yeah. us napoleon dynamite wow that was a real time and place oh yeah the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, i could, can't say it's aged great
1: but uh i still remember it fondly
0: yeah that's just craziness um oceans 12 a movie i like that you don't No, the machinist came out that year christian bale very skinny yes I don't remember the movie being that good. I just remember him being very thin. I haven't seen it. And giving him a lot of credit for being thin. Primer! Primer. Why don't you like Primer? Because it's
1: boring. You need to come around on Primer. Okay, no. I do not like that movie. Okay. You know what
0: movie's not? Boring National Treasure.
1: No. No. <laughs> <That, laughs> i being honest. There, there's a case to be made for National fucking Treasure.
0: <laughs> My God. <laughs> there are just not movies like that anymore. No. They just don't make them. No, just like the the
1: most shamelessly accessible movies that you can't deny are just a, a treat. That are not
0: based on intellectual property. Yeah. Except for the Declaration of Independence. It's
1: based on the (laughs) Declaration. Could you imagine in the credits? Based on the Declaration of Independence by Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: others. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah, how's the Writers Guild going to negotiate writing credit on that? (laughs) So many cooks in the kitchen. Um, Born Supremacy. My favorite Born movie came out that year as well. Uh, Dodgeball. Another great comedy. I like Dodgeball a lot. Of course. Uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I like it. Hold that thought until just oh. a bit. Oh, hold that thought. Team America, World Police.
1: Oh, God, I forgot about this one. Holy shit, I love this movie. This is an awesome year, God damn it, <laughs> It's
0: a really awesome year. If we weren't the age that we were, would we be saying that? Because I agree with you. What do you mean? But if we were like 25? No, I saw that movie much later. Okay.
1: Yeah, and I loved it
0: man on fire came out that year
1: uh, underrated film
0: yeah really underrated hotel rwanda came out uh i like it yep supersize me good awesome movie Lair cake oh Lair cake's pretty dope yeah i need to still see Lair cake you haven't seen it i'm um, not it's matthew vaughn right yep yep a, g- a really good
1: matthew vaughn film and sort of the film that they say gave ja- uh daniel craig james bond okay you know i don't i mean his character to me is very different but Uh, I I guess I see the connections. Isn't a young, suave Tom Hardy in that movie? I don't think so. There's a young, suave Tom Hardy in Rock and Rolla.
0: Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. probably what it is. Okay. The Passion of the Christ. 2004. Also made a lot of money that year. Uh, Ray... We'll talk about jamie fox in a second manchurian candidate the remake directed by jonathan demme very good starsky and hutch i like starsky and hutch a lot it's my favorite uh uh todd phillips movie yep <laughs> miracle lion king one and a half which is soon being remade by barry jenkins yep
1: <laughs> i really hope so my god i hope that's what he does <laughs> please god make that movie
0: <laughs> and uh a movie that we may talk about one day Pusher two if you, get, oh my if you God. get your way.
1: Yeah, I saw that. And I, I, I'm, I'm just realizing now that I saw that at the end of the list. And I was like, yep, this movie's oh, such a good movie. Mm. Incredible movie.
0: Uh, as I said, Shrek 2, highest grossing movie of that year, followed by Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Spider-Man 2, The Incredibles, and Passion of the Christ. Spider-Man 2 came out this year? It did. It did? It did. Why didn't we nominate it? Is it necessary that we talk about Spider-Man 2? best Spider-Man movie. Is there really anything you have to say about Spider Man 2? Sure. Go ahead. Get it off your chest. No. We'll save Fine. Spider Man 2. We'll I'll save, nominate no, it. We'll
1: save it for a Spider Man pod. We could do that.
0: I mean, I didn't and know you we ha- felt like
1: that strongly about it. It's like my favorite superhero movie. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. But we're going to put it <laughs> uh, in? Uh, maybe. It's, it's incredible. It's like, I, I think it's kind of fantastic. We could do it. Here's, here's what we'll do what? We'll do a Spider Man pod with Nick.
0: Good idea. Mm-hmm. There are actually a couple contenders there, though i agree yeah it's not
1: doesn't beat spider-man
0: too okay not even close no well, there's one but we'll see <laughs> um best picture that year is million dollar baby uh best director also is clint eastwood for million dollar baby jamie fox wins best actor for ray double nominee that year he was nominated for actor and supporting actor for collateral Oh, interesting. Hilary Swank wins best actress for Million Dollar Baby. Morgan Freeman, best supporting actor for Million Dollar Baby. And Kate Blanchett, best supporting actress for The Aviator. Spider Man 2. Let's begin. Fucking love Spider Man 2. <laughs> no, right. I know you do. I know you do. I love it too. Who doesn't love it, man? What's so. your contender?
1: Into the Spider Verse?
0: Well, yeah i think that's i think that has a chance but no we'll talk about it one day <laughs> Very, Yeah, spider-man pod with nick we have yeah, to do it yeah. that's an excellent movie By it's the way, it's sitting right think, there yeah. yeah okay mean girls directed by mark waters waters written by tina fey starring lindsey lohan rachel mcadams amanda seafried lizzie kaplan tina fey and amy poehler katie heron is a hit with the plastics. The A-list girl click at her new school until she makes the mistake of falling for Aaron Samuels, the ex-boyfriend of alpha plastic Regina George. Oh, Regina George. One of the great movie villains of all time. Yep. So good. Yep. Uh, So I remember not only when this movie came out, I remember the advertising for this movie.
1: I don't remember the advertising for it.
0: I remember watching Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network on a loop and commercials with with this movie uh, would... Air like once every five minutes. It was insane, the advertising campaign for this. Uh, and I remember being totally uninterested in it because it was about girls and girls were icky at the time. I was nine. And um, I remember it doing well. Mm. But do you remember this movie being a cultural phenomenon in 2004 <laughs> because I have no recollection of this? No, 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 absolutely not. It's not something I discovered
1: until a bit later, probably till not until I was in high school. Okay. Honestly, um because I I think I always had a similar response to it thinking like okay, this is just, you know, a, a chick flick fair. It's mm-hmm. not for me because I'm a boy and I don't watch these movies. Right. And um I think by sheer w- uh, willpower of the the women of our generation—they <laughs> push this movie into cultural phenomenon territory. Yeah, and for yeah, for good reason because this movie's fucking amazing. Yeah, I love this movie. It of course, <laughs> I absolutely love everything about it. It's like an odd, like I don't know if it's like amongst my favorites, but like it's it's close. I think I think it's like if if I were to pick you know, films in the, in the category of chick flick, this would be, it would be this and it wouldn't be even remotely close. Yeah. Well, um, it's not a chick
0: flick in like the romantic comedy sense, but in terms of a movie being made for chicks by chicks. Yeah. yeah. This is about as good as it gets right here. I don't even think
1: it's made by chicks. It's written by a girl, but it's, yeah, it's not directed.
0: This by is, a girl. Yeah, I guess. It's not really Mark Waters movie though. It's really Tina Fey's movie. I guess so. You know, the
1: yeah. script here is just really good. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. The script is just like totally irreverent and inappropriate and like it was rated pg-13 i think at first the original draft was supposed to be an r-rated like like really dark twisted movie okay and they sort of dumbed it down i actually found this in my research like the scene where katie was asked if her muffin was buttered uh, was originally supposed to be is your cherry popped oh uh and the same went for the girl who quote made out with the hot dog the, in the script that was written as masturbated with a hot dog and both of those lines were omitted because they wanted to knock it down to PG-13. But I kind of want to see what the R-rated Mean Girls would uh, look like.
1: It would have been like uh, super bad, probably. You think? Yeah, I do, because that's what that sounds like to me. It's okay. like that's super bad writing. Um, Man, I don't know. I, I, I'm i perfectly fine with this. I mean, it, it spoke to a lot of people, it did. Quite, quite surprisingly. I don't know entirely why, because I don't think this film represents high school well whatsoever. I don't think that's entirely the point. It's like the most satirical idea of what high school is. I, I, I
0: don't really know. I have a little bit of a retort for you. Okay. So the plastics, right? This click. Yeah. Do you recall a group in high school like the plastics? No. Okay. Because I do. Okay. And I know them well. Okay. And um, to this day, they still do plasticky things. I'm not going to name names, but like you see them. Okay. They're a group of girls that have given themselves a nickname. Okay. They've given their click a nickname. I know a group
1: of plastics, I guess you could say. No, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no. This is a group that it it is almost identical to the behavior of the plastics. Oh, wow. Okay. They were obsessed with Mean Girls growing up. Mm. Obsessed. They loved this movie and they would mention this movie all the time. And I'm not even sure they're aware that they're mimicking the behavior of the plastics, but I, I think on some level they were influenced by it. Yeah, that's like, that's Abby's sister. <laughs> very, sim-
1: <laughs> very similar to that in her, her gang. She has like a group of girls that are very similar to
0: this. That's a good point. Yeah. And that's not the group I'm referring to though. Okay. Um, here's my theory. I think Mean Girls is the female fight club. <laughs> okay. I think Mean Girls is a movie that either invertently or uninvertently, uh, inspired the behavior of a generation that watched it unironically no that's the that's the thing it's like you you look at this movie you don't
1: understand like that that demographic doesn't understand that it's supposed to be very satirical yes and you're supposed to walk away from it criticizing these characters same with fight club yeah but they adopted it it's that john waters effect where it's yes. like i'm gonna make this to poke fun at these people but those very people just adopted the sensibility exactly yeah Right. So, that, I completely agree with that. Yeah.
0: yeah. So growing up, they said, fetch, stop mm-hmm. making fetch happen. Fetch is not going to happen. Yep. <laughs> you know, they just, you know, they consistently quoted this movie. They always referenced it. They would, you know, post things on social media. They would post gifs and they would text it to one another. And it just became a big thing. And I just remember in high school hearing this movie quoted over and over and over and over again. And finally, I gave it a look and I really enjoyed it, too. But I know for a fact I didn't enjoy it for the same reason the real life plastics enjoyed it. No,
1: but it's very like uh, understandable why it became as popular as it did. It's like everything about it is just dripping with like iconography mm. and just quotability. It's like, it's as if they wrote this movie with the intentions of it being picked up and quoted by every motherfucker on earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is maybe an issue with the movie. I guess I have like, it's so obviously trying to be that In, in, in from my perspective anyway, right. but obviously the movie's satire. Right. So it's like, well, if, if you want it to be satire, don't make it as, as lovable (laughs) and and quotable as it is yes and and don't make it so don't have it as as easily adoptable like so many people adopt the look of this movie it's insane to me yes it it, there it it, at first there were clueless ripoffs and i guess even today there are people who are either in the clueless camp or the mean girls camp
0: can i be in both uh Mm-hmm. I'm going to be in both. You want to be that guy? Yeah, I want double membership. I mean, I don't like Clueless that much. Okay. Still. No, I want to be in both camps. Okay, that's yeah. fine. I like both movies. You do? Yeah. I Maybe I like this one more, but I like both. Oh, God, this movie
1: is a masterpiece next <laughs> to that one. Clueless isn't terrible, but like, eh.
0: Yeah, a lot of people did adopt the look of this for sure. Yeah. And there is actually some good physical comedy in this. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. You know, I will say the running gag of the african like nature channel narration of like Lindsay lohan talking about the time that like the tiger ate the caribou Mm. like and then sort of mimicking that that never worked for me like that running sight gag just never worked just teenagers getting on all fours and like howling at each other um but beyond that like i just think like the script is really good me too i just think it's a really good script and Also, these characters are really good. Regina George is a great villain. Lindsay Lohan is a really good hero. Um, And like even Amanda Seyfried in this movie and her film debut is hilarious as just like the character that just her mouth is always agape and it looks like she should be chewing (laughs) bubble gum.
1: No, and that's what I'm saying. It's like (laughs) I love that character. So good. It's not like this movie is like exploring these characters on like the, the levels of, I don't know, the stuff you'd get out of a coen brothers film (laughs) but but as far as like defining these characters just quickly and simply for everyone to connect to it does a wonderful job at that which is why to me the writing's so good it's just like i just know exactly who everybody is in this movie and i kind of know that pretty quickly yeah uh but i do have to say like the direction is also quite good for for similar reasons and a lot of that is for the physical comedy Mm. you know and it's just like well staged too i love when the school just starts wreaking chaos amongst yeah. each other and there's that great pullback shot with regina george standing at the steps with her arms crossed
0: great shot yeah yeah after she put all the yeah the flyers or whatever all the photocopies of the book really good amy poehler's hilarious in this yeah as yeah, the she- mom with her boob job <laughs> i love you girls <laughs> <laughs> anyone need a condom <laughs>
1: like oh uh. <laughs> now again it's a caricature of a mom we've all known yes and that that's where the movie gets like somewhat relatable in in the sense that we we know like the the base idea of these characters even if what they're what we're physically being shown is not at all what they would actually be like but right. that's how we connect to it I yeah guess. they're
0: exaggerated versions highly of exa-
1: this is like a looney Tunes sketch <laughs> next to the way things
0: actually are but you know yeah the cool mo- the funny thing about the cool mom is that the cool mom is actually the least cool mom yeah the exactly. mom that thinks she's cool is actually the mom that nobody likes exactly yeah exactly it's great and also like Rachel McAdams getting hit by the bus is just hilarious every time. And that's how Regina George died.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) love it. I love it. This movie is just a delight. It's another funny movie that I went out of my way. Once I saw it, I had to buy it. Oh, my God. I, I own Mean Girls. You own it? I own Mean Girls. Look at you. Yeah, man. I like my Mean Girls. So fetch. <laughs> it is funny. It's so funny. It this is movie funny. is just fucking hilarious. It is. How can whole... you deny that? Absolutely is. It must be because I have some big lesbian crush on you. <laughs> Suck on that.
0: Here's the problem. What? Another major flaw with the movie. <laughs> What's that? Lizzie Kaplan is supposed to be like the like sort of homely lesbian. She's not homely. No one's attracted to. Hottest girl in the movie, Lizzie Kaplan.
1: <laughs> well, she she her her her, her wardrobe is not uh, attractive. Whatever, that's the point. But Lizzie Kaplan, like, if I were to pick a lineup, which sounds so horrible to say, I'm sorry, <laughs> but
0: <laughs>
1: listen, then- I was twelve when I saw this movie. I'm allowed to say this. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I agree with you, Lizzie Kaplan. I would, it's either, uh, hmm. or
0: Amanda Seyfried,
1: or mm, I'm a little more attracted to. Uh, Rachel McAdams,
0: not in this movie. But she's yeah, she's so terrible. Not her. with the hairline, not with like the blonde hair. I like her as a brunette with the blonde hair. It's just too bleach blonde. Maybe, Maybe. there's something about
1: her. I don't know. Maybe you're right. But for yeah, Liz, I'll I'll just pick Lizzie Kaplan to be.
0: No, safe. give me Rachel McAdams in about time every day of the week, and twice on Sunday.
1: About time.
0: Yeah. About time. I
1: still need to see that. So good. Yeah, that's that director who did uh, Love Actually.
0: That is correct. Oh, maybe I shouldn't (laughs) watch it. (laughs) That is correct. Uh, anyway, that's mean girls. Very good. So fetch, uh, Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy. (laughs) <laughs> Written and directed by Adam McKay, who apparently is one of our great directors working, according mm. to the Academy, Okay, starring Will Ferrell, Christina Applegate, Paul Rudd, Steve Carell, and David Koechner and a bunch of other people. You know, the cast of Anchorman. Ron Burgundy is San Diego's top rated newsman in the male dominated broadcasting of the 1970s. But that's all about to change for Ron and his cronies when his ambitious woman is hired as a new anchor. Um, very important movie to the both of us. I oh, think. my God.
1: It does not get much more important than this. This is the comedy of my life. Yeah. I fucking adore this movie. Yeah. I can quote the entire movie front to back. Right, let's in, give it a try. In an almost shocking way. Let's give it a try. There was a time. <laughs> a time before cable. <laughs> where the local anchor man reigned supreme. Where people believed everything they heard on TV. This was an age when only men were allowed to read the news. And in San Diego, one anchor man was more man than the rest. His name was Ron Burgundy. He was like a god walking amongst near mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. In other words, Ron Burgundy was the balls. Mm. I look good. I mean, really good. Hey, everyone. Come and see how good I look. I'm impressed. I can quote this entire
0: movie. Can you quote the Sex Panther scene for me, please?
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> it smells like gasoline. Never ceases to amaze me.
0: What cologne are you going to go
1: with? London Gentleman or... No, no, no. Hold on. Blackbeard's delight. Oh. <laughs> no, she gets a special cologne. It's called Sex Panther <laughs> by Oriana. <laughs> it's illegal in my countries. My favorite line. Yep, it's made with bits of real panther, so you know it's good. I say that line daily <laughs> whenever I'm referring to something authentic, like. <laughs> Like anything with with that kind of name in it, I don't know. I I can't. I wish I could think of an example, but like, it's it's made with bits of real cat, so you know it's good. Yeah, stuff right, like that. right, right, right. It's quite pungent. Oh yes. yeah, oh, it's a formidable scent. <laughs> Stings the nostrils in a good way. <laughs> yeah, Brian, I got to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. <laughs> they didn't. Su- <laughs> and this this could be my favorite line in the movie that I also say quite frequently. The forty percent of the time no, they've done studies, you know, sixty percent of the no. time. It works every time. Every time. That
0: doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think my favorite line of the movie is when he's doing the bicep curls. <laughs> it's just going to be us quoting Anchorman the whole time.
1: <laughs> you ever hear the Ubulus muscle connects to the uh, upper dorsimus? It's boring, but it's part of my life. I'm just going to put the shirt on if you don't mind. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So... The- <laughs> okay this is where i we have sort of three very interesting comedies and this is how i want to break it down right mean girls is in my opinion script driven that is a movie that it is i I think its superpower is its writer yes uh of the dead is a movie where its superpower is its director Mm mm-hmm Anchorman is very clearly... The superpower is the lead. The superpower is this cast. Yes. Um, Most of this movie was improvised. Oh, God, yeah. So much of it was improvised that they made a whole other movie with the unused footage. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen Good Morning, Ron Burgundy? Or what is it? Wake Up, Ron Burgundy?
1: I think I have. I don't remember that much about it, though. Okay. I probably saw it on, like, a special feature.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's, like, a whole hour and a half long. It's, like, a full-length movie or whatever, um, which is stuff they didn't use here. Um, But this is just... Will Ferrell at the peak of his powers doing his Will Ferrell thing and like willing a movie into the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. That is what he's doing here.
1: It's very uh, like, let's just go and make a fucking movie. There's something just so ragtag about it. And you can tell when they're making it, how improvised it was. And it's the kind of thing where I, I, I look back on it and honestly, it's not a movie that probably should have worked as well as it did. And I don't think it was like beloved when it came out. It was sort of like mixed. No, another one of those cult classics. Yeah. Yeah. But like a cult classic that is very much in the pop culture. eye now it's, it's, I would also call this probably another phenomenon. It's hard to, it's hard to come across anybody who hasn't seen Anchorman. Yeah. Seriously. A hundred percent. But like, wow, man, I'm, I don't know if I've ever seen a more quotable movie. That's just this, uh, uh, like beloved in my entire life. Right. It's weird. Cause I mean, there are plenty of beloved movies that are quotable, but like even my parents just like, can't stop quoting this movie. It's very weird. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the movie that just touched people's hearts,
0: but I mean, it could just be the Will Ferrell in that character. I guess it is. It is. I mean, it really just is. um, that Ron Burgundy character is just and you know he's still chasing that muse to this day he's still i think the Ron Burgundy podcast is something he actually does it's a real
1: thing and yeah this is this is the thing about the films like kind of a sad legacy it's like it, not so much the films legacy is Will Ferrell's legacy i dude i'm honestly it was this and then everything that came out afterwards I, I shrugged at including Talladega Nights. Yeah. And I don't dislike Talladega Nights. It's got its moments, but I just thought it paled in comparison to this. And even in, again, like I'm, I'm, I know, I guess I'm in the minority with this. I'm not, I'm not a huge Step Brothers fan for that reason. Yeah. I am, but that's okay. Yeah. And I, I've been, ta- and I would, I was that guy who would tell people for a long time, like, after, like I would say, I don't know, five years after this movie came out, I was like, guys, it's, it's been bad since Anchorman. Man. It really has.
0: Yeah. I mean, he has been, just chasing this character for a very long time and you're right like you want to see him evolve as an actor you want to see him like sort of take on more dramatic work or you know sort of step aside and and be like just a dynamic supporting actor Yep. Like, I, whenever Will Ferrell comes into a movie, or when he used to come into a movie, it's like, oh, wow, Will Ferrell's here. And everyone got excited. Right. Now it's like, Will Ferrell, oh, he's making Eurovision for Netflix, and I now I have to sit through an hour and a half of this movie. <laughs> also starring Rachel McAdams, by the way. Yep. Um, and yeah, there's, it, it's just become annoying. Like, every time you see Ron Burgundy show up on the late night shows, or you see him at one of the Comedy Central roasts, which he does all the time now, it's like, really, we're doing this again? Yeah. You know, and there's no reason why it has to be Ron Burgundy. Like, he didn't do it with Buddy the Elf. Nope. You know, he didn't do it with his character, Ricky Bobby from Talladega
1: Nights. But isn't that, doesn't that show how, like, how tied he is to the Ron Burgundy character? It's too good a performance. Sometimes it's
0: just too good of a performance, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah
1: it is so weird though because I think about this character and I don't think of Will Ferrell I think of Ron Burgundy yeah and that's not that doesn't usually happen with any of Will Ferrell's characters I mean Ricky Bobby especially yeah is honestly like it's just Will Ferrell doing shtick the entire time it's not the same with Buddy the Elf though Buddy the Elf I genuinely see Buddy the Elf yeah Um, but I'm sure uh, uh, Eurovision is that problem I was referring to Um, big problem even actually he doesn't even do that much shtick in that movie it's just lazy I just Mm -hmm. think his performance in that is really lazy I guess the best thing he's done besides Anchorman, strangely for me, is Stranger Than Fiction. Not a bad movie. I like Stranger Than Fiction. And I like him in the movie.
0: Yeah, why doesn't he make more Stranger Than Fictions? I don't know. What's you wrong know. with Stranger Than Fiction? I don't know. I, I don't make know. Make ten of those. Sure, yeah. he's he,
1: he he proved that he can do it. Steve Carell's doing that. Yeah. Why can't he do that? It is kind of hard to imagine Will Ferrell going to the lengths of like like Jim Carrey or, or Steve Carell. It's just, I
0: don't oh, know. I don't need Foxcatcher. No. out of You know what I mean? But like- vice sure why is will ferrell not in vice you know why isn't he in it just like Big Short. Why is he not in those movies? He produced the Big Short. I know. Why he, is he not in the movie? No, he just needs to be
1: like some office guy who helps out one of the leads and so, and saying like, I can't give you these secrets until you do this for me, like something like that. Yeah. <laughs> he can't just be like a plain dude. Do dramatic work
0: where like you can show off your comedy chops. If Will Will Ferrell is a producer of the show Succession, yeah. If Will Ferrell was in a season of Succession, how great would that be?
1: <laughs> it'd be it'd be
0: unbelievable in that. But
1: my question to you is like, would he? He could be a unbelievable
0: but would he stick out like a sore thumb probably i don't think i think the writers of succession would figure out a way to incorporate him in there well because they did that with holly hunter they did that with brian cox but those are great actors though that's the thing it's hard to deny their abilities. they did it with kieran culkin
1: he's a great actor though He's not, he's not, a, he doesn't stick out. I, I mean, Kieran Culkin especially does not oh, stick he, out. Oh, he sticks out. No. Kieran Culkin? He's a Culkin and he doesn't stick Who are we talking about? <laughs> Kieran Culkin, of course he sticks out no, like a he, sore thumb. His brother is Macaulay, dude. <laughs> Both of which stick out. No, no, come on. I, I think he honestly. Out because he's not
0: Macaulay. That's what's interesting about him. Give him, like make him like a a studio executive in succession, give him like three episodes, give him a three episode run. He's literally a producer on the show. His production company makes that show. He'd be great in it, but instead he insists on doing these ridiculous comedies. Eurovision was really bad. And I know some people online felt differently about that. And there was some, you know, I think trolley buzz behind uh, Eurovision, but that's just not a good movie. Okay. It's just not. And it just really bothers me. Whenever I look at his IMDB page, And I see Downhill from earlier this year and, uh, you know, movies like Zeroville. It's just really frustrating. But he's chasing what he did in Anchorman here. I know.
1: I know. It's important, though, like, I mean, I I honestly don't think he's going to get any better than this. this was a sort of a lightning in a bottle moment. Yeah. And that's okay. It's very, very rare that any actor admits that that was a lightning in a bottle moment, which is why they almost always, they go on to chase that thing and they never quite get it. And it's sad to watch. It really is. But, um, I think at least I can comfortably say that that's what this is. Right. And, and I love it for that. And by the way, Anchorman two is not horrible. No, no. But even then you can
0: kind of see like, it's not, it's not anchorman. You can't make a movie like this anymore. That's what I'm getting at. You just can't. No, of course not. It's a right place, right time. And also right cast movie. Yeah. There are just not enough good improv comedy actors out there anymore Mm -hmm. in the way that there were in the early 2000s. Like improv had a real moment sketch had a real moment around that time. And now it just feels like we're sort of pigeonholing good dramatic actors into comedic roles, Mm -hmm. you know, like even Rachel McAdams, she's a good comedic actress, but she is a dramatic actress first. And now we're sort of making her into a a comedy actress. Um, you know, like, like, Let the comedians do the comedy, (laughs) (laughs) and I just feel like we don't have enough of those like students of comedy in the business anymore. Maybe they're afraid to do comedy because comedy's uh, it's a risk, isn't it? Yeah,
1: I don't know why. Well, I know why, but it shouldn't be as much of a risk. Yeah. So I don't know, but the thing is, like everybody, and it's not just Will Ferrell. Everybody in this movie plays off of each other brilliantly it's it's hard to admit like this movie would be worse if champ wasn't in it or if brick wasn't in it yeah or if uh, brian fantana was not in it even christina applegate to be that character for them yeah if she wasn't in it this movie would not be anywhere near as
0: good definitely not and all of the little bit performers too fred willard is hilarious oh my god he's so good <laughs>
1: <laughs> put down the gun and let the marching band go we'll play it off as a prank. <laughs> We'll sort this out later. I'm getting another call. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Oh, that was one crazy party. I am hung over. Oh, tell me about it. I woke up this morning and I shit a squirrel. <laughs> I mean it. Literally. Hell of it is. The damn thing's still alive. So I got this shit covered squirrel down here in the office. Don't know what to name it. Oh, I'm sorry, champ. I think I ate your chocolate squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I know all of their opening monologues. I'm sorry. I know, I know every single line in this movie. Every single
0: line. Yeah, it's just really a, a really important movie that you can't make anymore. Um, and it really is sad, but at least we had it in 2004. N- yeah, I
1: know. It's, it's amazing that it exists and we're never going to get it again. But, you know, it's always there. We can still go back and watch it fondly.
0: I do need to get around and watch Wake Up Ron Burgundy Mm -hmm. uh, because, yeah, uh, it's uh, necessary viewing for an Anchorman fan, I think. (laughs) I wonder what it's like. I'd love to check it out. They cut out a whole um, subsection, a whole subplot of the movie involved, like, some bank robbers. Oh, God. It was like a heist movie. And then they brought in the panda stuff later. But all of that stuff with the zoo, that was incorporated after they screened the initial cut for test audiences, and it didn't do well. So I they see. just cut all that stuff out of the movie and they replaced it with the panda stuff. Okay. Um, so I need to check that out, though. I like Hits Focus, though, and just
1: kind of the degradation of Ron Burgundy, you know, yeah. with a nice little redemption story,
0: you know? Yeah, I'm not going to break down the plot of this no, movie too much. No,
1: you don't need to. <laughs> I'm not going to Pauline Kale this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, I would love to see Pauline Kale take a stab at this one. I wouldn't. It, I wouldn't. It might ruin the film. I think it might. Maybe go to SeaWorld, take my pants off. Yeah. Anyway,
0: I, <laughs> uh okay Shaun of the dead is next let's do Shaun of the dead written and directed by edgar wright starring simon pegg nick frost kate ashfield and bill nighy mm-hmm. a man's uneventful life is disrupted by the zombie apocalypse um go ahead you like this movie a lot don't you oh my god yeah of course i like this movie it's the obviously it's the first
1: Edgar great film i saw i saw all of his films in order funny enough that rarely ever happens yeah and i just fell in love with his movies right away and his, his sensibilities and i fell in love with sean uh or simon pegg and and, and nick frost and their uh comedic sensibilities as well the kind of movies that they are uh, attracted towards Uh, And I appreciated more than anything just the the visual comedy. It's a movie that is sort of – uh, integral to my understanding of what makes visual visual comedy work yeah. and how important it is for like really, really funny comedies that you just come back to. More so than just like falling in love with the characters and the cast. Just like, I want to watch it again because this moment is so amusing but it's just so well done. Yeah, So you're not just laughing at it, you're having fun while you're sitting down and experiencing it. That's a great point. Physical comedy actually
0: loses its luster slower than verbal comedy does. Mm-hmm. Like, if you know that a line is coming and you anticipate that like the laugh is going to diminish over time with physical comedy you're right you actually may find it more funny the more times you watch it yep yeah I never even thought about it that way the most rewatchable comedies are actually the ones that are more physical than verbal yep I know yeah. I know that now I've always I've always maintained that that's why uh, Monty Python Holds
1: up so well for so many people nowadays because it's like entirely that, right? And you can tell like he's uh, taken a lot from them. I mean, most uh, British comedians can't help it. Yeah, just, they just everyone owes a debt to those guys. But here, it's just it's just wonderful as well because it's not just like a really really great physical comedy. That's also a really impressive directorial feat. Oh yeah. Um, I I I just think it's like an awesome parody. Yeah, that that has a ton of heart. Mm-hmm. and has a lot to say, and is very character-driven at the end of the day. Uh, surprisingly so, because movies of this nature, you, you hear the title, Shaun of the Dead, and you kind of roll your eyes. right? But when you see the the movie, it is, in a way, a little bit of a character study. Kind of. <laughs> about this guy who just can't can't do anything with his life he he can't he can't leave the premises of a bar right because that's the only place where he's comfortable and he kind of learns to break out of that at the end it's sort of nice
0: there is something very amusing about a bunch of characters that during the apocalypse their first thought is to go to the bar yep. and just to lock themselves in with a with a glass of guinness well and i think that's the the idea for the premise where it's like if the
1: zombie like when they were writing the movie if the zombie apocalypse happens what would we honestly do? And then Simon Pegg just comically blurts out, I don't know, go to the fucking Winchester. Right. I think that was an actual bar that they would attend. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. Okay. So yeah.
1: so, so him, Edgar Wright, and Nick Frost would just kind of shoot the shit trying to come up with ideas. And this is what they ultimately formed. Because this is back when Edgar Wright was really sort of, you'd be you'd be stupid to call him mainstream or well-known or anything like that. He was just kind of scrambling to get by. And the, the most well-known thing he did was Spaced, which was a TV series. Right. Uh, and he'd done one f- like like unknown
0: film before this called uh, Fistful of Fingers. And now the show Spaced, that also starred Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, yeah. right? And they did an episode about the zombie apocalypse, and that's what sort of developed into Shaun of the Dead.
1: They did an episode about uh, uh, what it would be like if... Resident Evil was real the video game got it so they start like shooting zombies and whatnot and that's given the inspiration like this this is fun we should do an actual zombie movie right and miraculously it formed into this and I guess I mean it's not technically a directorial debut although I think Edgar Wright would probably say like this is kind of my first movie movie because from my understanding Fistful of Fingers is not exactly a fully formed thing okay it's very like it's something that I could have made in my backyard that kind of thing got it but um he, you watch this and it's like wow, like like what a jump, yeah. Because I like space. Space is funny as hell. But if you if you watch that and then you watch this, is like whoa, they gave him a budget. Whoa, they gave him a lot more to work with. And it just it it's it's nice to see like a, a comedic director with this much. Uh, with with such a clear voice and versatility, make something that's just, just
0: this, I don't know, fully realized. I, yeah. just, I just love it. I mean, you also need a guy, though, that's young enough to have the energy to direct this mm-hmm. because it is like a really energetic comedy mm-hmm. in the way that just most modern comedies aren't. I watched an awesome YouTube video from the channel Every Frame of Painting. That guy is just a tremendous sort of video essayist. And he talks about Edgar Wright's physical comedy. And I don't think until I watched that, I really appreciated what Edgar Wright's going for every time. He compared, I think Shaun of the Dead was the main movie, but he incorporated clips from the other two, to movies by like Paul Feig, the bridesmaids of the world, the Ghostbusters of the world, whatever. And like, I generally like Paul Feig movies. I know you can't stand Paul Feig, but I think he makes generally decent movies. But until I watched this video essay... And I just saw the side-by-side of, like, this is how Bridesmaids opens with, like, a lazy drone shot of New York City. And this is how Shaun of the Dead opens with this awesome montage revealing so much about these characters in a very short period of time. It wasn't until it was put side-by-side to me that I really realized, like, how lazy comedy has become. And in many ways, how lazy comedy has always been in in cinema. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, comedy directors... It's a very loose term to, to call someone a comedy director. Edgar Wright is a pure comedy director in every sense, where every decision that he makes... Is motivated by the laugh, and that includes what he's doing behind the camera as much as what's in front of the camera.
1: Oh yeah, like there's a difference between a comedian that makes a movie and a director who knows how to make everything out of film funny. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. He's a great visionary. Right. It's it's more so than he knows how to write jokes. He knows how to use the medium of film to be funny. Right. Like I've seen that video essay as well, and he talks about like transitions. Yeah. And how when you compare it to something like Bridesmaids, the transition is it's an aerial view of them driving across a a couple of streets all the way to like downtown New York or whatever. And then he compares it to hot fuzz and then he shows the amazing uh, montage of uh, Sean going to the country and his phone battery slowly dying right. to like the, the, the jump cuts and the smash cuts and how jarring it is for that character. And it's funny as well. And it's just so much more creative than what we normally get.
0: Right. and even moments that are cliche like just watching a newsreel on television to reveal information about the world changing of the channel yeah the changing of the channels is such a brilliant little touch and i didn't even realize this when i watched the movie for the first time but you can actually see the reflection of the character you can actually see simon pegg in the frame as he's watching it and that's revealing information about the character as you're giving what is you know, usually just boring exposition. Mm-hmm. But here, every moment, as much of a cliche as these moments are and as much of a cliche this movie can be at times, are so creatively pulled off and so energetic and so lively. And that I say this all the
1: time. It's like, I, I, I feel like I've said this a thousand times. I don't care about cliches. Just, you know, make them in a way that's kind of interesting and refreshing. Yeah. And again, like, like even the setup to the the zombie apocalypse when um like all the weird stuff is happening and how that's abruptly cut off but just like laying out laying out the pieces so that it makes sense and that it pays off later this is something that Edgar wright does very very well in pretty much all of his movies yeah um he does this thing where he sets up a scene and lets it play through and then he replays the exact same scene just the circumstances of of the problem have taken effect right so before it's just um, Sean going to get stuff at the supermarket and going back home. And then they do the same scene where the apocalypse has happened. Right. But when you go back and watch the, the first moment where he does that, there's a tremendous amount of foreshadowing in that scene. So like uh, the guy that he, um, um, uh, when he's going to get like something to drink, there's a guy who pays for, for something in front of him and that guy happens to be the one-armed man that goes in later. Oh, right. And there's a great moment where the guy with the soccer ball or the kid with the soccer ball hits him in the head and he's just like, hey – You're dead. Yeah. And then that kid's like one of the first kids to die. And he
0: literally is dead (laughs) later on in the movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: A lot of like little, little touches like that where it's like if you pay attention and you go back and reflect on it, you'll be
0: like, oh, that was clever. Right. Yeah. And he just uses the camera to communicate a lot of that, too. Like there's a lot of like sort of what would you call that? Just like quick swooshes. What would you what would you call like a big movement of the camera like that? It's, it's a, a pan sw- maybe it's not a swipe
1: it's just a it's just a hard pan is i guess what i would call a it. hard
0: pan like sure. damien chazelle does it all the time too oh yeah 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 when but damien G- chazelle does it for like dramatic effect but here simon pegg does it for comedic effect where it's like you reveal new information about the scene you're 100 right it's the way that he reveals information and the way that he communicates like how the stakes ratchet up like the opening when he's having that intimate conversation with his girlfriend and then they pan over to reveal the other friends in the bar that joke they replay twice but it gets funnier every single time Mm -hmm. the guy just understands like the fundamentals of this thing and i have you know had my fun at edgar wright's expense in the past and i have you know sometimes chastised him for one specific movie i think in general i've been pretty complimentary (laughs) um but like i i watch a video essay like the one that every frame of painting did and uh I, I can't help but realize that he's the closest thing we have to the Cohen brothers working today <laughs> besides the Cohen brothers themselves. You know, he's like the only one still in that lineage of physical comedy, of oh, formalist yeah. physical comedy. Sure. Yeah.
1: Just again, a, a brilliant storyteller to me too. Like it's just one that knows how to lay out a lot of pieces. And the thing is like in terms of his comedy, there's a lot to discover on rewatch. Mm-hmm. How often do you say that about a comedy where it's like, Oh my God, I never realized that on the first viewing. Just and,
0: the Coen brother
1: movies. Never. Really. Ever it's just the big Lebowski. You know, it's, it's just a, racing Arizona. It's amazing. I just, I love that about his movies. It's incredible. Right. I had more. I wanted to say about shawn of the dead i'm trying to <laughs> recall what it was i think the fence the first fence drop was really good i think that was on accident i think oh wow i want to say that it was i'm not entirely sure okay but maybe it was hmm. but um this is another thing that Edgar Wright's style he, he doesn't do it as much anymore but something he used to do a lot was he would do snap zooms on mundane things uh-huh. which again like the you 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 laugh hysterically at it at least I always do just because it, I, I look at it I was like, "Why are you zooming in on this character spreading jelly across his toast right. <laughs> it's so unimportant and it's so meaningless, but I guess like that's why it works it 's like a contrast to to point out how how mundane it is yeah i don't I don't know what you would call that, but for some reason, whenever they highlight an unimportant thing like that it's it not only is it funny but it also highlights just how regular sean is and how pathetic he is
0: right well also it puts the the uh, the audience in a state of like cognitive dissonance too you <laughs> yeah. know because we're so trained to watch movies and we're so used to all of these techniques mm-hmm. that we think that they communicate something and any time a filmmaker subverts that with yeah. subverts that expectation with what they put on the screen it always leads to sort of a weird feeling that works really well in comedy yeah You know, it can work really well in horror It can work really well in thriller. And I think they all sort of Hitchcock does this all the time. You know what I mean? Like Hitchcock plays around with whatever your expectation is of of camera movement. He's
1: manipulating you.
0: Exactly. Right. Um, And yeah, Edgar Wright is really good at that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, this is an awesome movie. This movie was released two weeks after Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Oh. By the same studio, Universal bought both properties. Okay. Two weeks after Dawn of the Dead, they put out Shaun of the Dead. Part of the stipulation, the reason why they bought the movie is because they wanted to have control over this property. They didn't want Shaun of the Dead coming out before Dawn of the Dead and fucking it up for everyone. I see. Um, But you like the Dawn of the Dead, the Zack Snyder one, right?
1: Yes, I do. It's not like a great movie, but unfortunately for Zack Snyder, it might be his best film. Wow. Yeah, it's it's an... it's a fine retelling of that first movie and it changes up a lot, but at the same time is so clearly a dawn of the dead, you know, right. I, I, and I, I like how it plays around with what the original one was doing. It's, but it is more of an, a straightforward action movie. It's not exactly commenting on consumerism the same way that that first movie was. Sure. I love that first. movie. I wouldn't imagine so. That first movie is so good. <laughs> I'm in love with that first movie. I think it's this incredible. This one, the, the <laughs> Zack Snyder one
0: is also at a mall? Yeah. Okay. Got it.
1: It's it's good. Like I said, it's don't you don't go into it expecting your mind to be blown. Although the first like I don't know, like ten to twenty minutes is just like some of the best zombie apocalypse you've ever seen.
0: Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So yeah, and there's good stuff here too. Like this is a good horror movie, and it does blend like some genuine heart with some genuine horror and some genuine laughs. It really is like a awesome balancing act of a movie. I love it. I like it. I think it's my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually not mine. For me, my, my top two are Hot Fuzz and Scott Pilgrim.
0: Okay. Yeah. Not my thing, but that's all right. We'll <laughs> agree to disagree on do that. Do you not like Hot Fuzz? No, I like Hot Fuzz. Okay. Yeah, I do. I i, I like this one more though.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's a similar I just
0: love Ed in this movie.
1: Oh, Ed. Ed is so fucking good. Yeah, he is great. He's very good in that one, too. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mark Frost? Not Mark Frost. Nick Frost. Nick Frost, Jesus Christ. Yeah.
0: yeah. Ed. All right. Good? Satisfied? Yes. Yeah, I'm satisfied. The Incredibles, written and directed by Bradley Bird. Bradley Bird. Yeah, Brad Bird. Yeah. Yeah. Starring Craig T. Nelson, Holly Hunter, Sam Jackson, and Jason Lee winner of best animated feature and best sound editing Mm, at the academy awards was also nominated for original screenplay and sound mixing so a real force of nature at the oscars a family of undercover superheroes while trying to live the quiet suburban life are forced into action to save the world i've talked about this a thousand times i have that much to say about it my favorite pixar movie could be my favorite pixar movie
1: it's up there Funny experience with it recently, though, is that I had seen Incredibles 2, and then I went back and rewatched this one because I remember when this came out thinking, like, the animation here is like, it's never going to get any better than this. Uh-huh. And then when I went back and re saw it all these years later, I was like, whoa, the animation's gotten a lot better. Really? <laughs> yeah
0: no shit because yeah. i remember the animation in this especially like that scene on the island with like the waterfall mm-hmm. like parting i i just remember all of that being so visually striking
1: it's unforgettable like it, it and it is still visually striking to this day just because what they choose to to animate is just there's just full of great ideas yeah all the way down to just the regular stuff with the uh, uh, mr incredible saving the train how yeah. awesome that looks I love and the, oh, I love the shot with him getting trapped in the facility by those weird like black bubble things. Oh, so good! Really good. This is yeah, and it's this movie just uh, man though. It's I it, I don't think like when I first saw it, I was gonna end up saying that it was like my favorite Pixar movie or anything. But I remember seeing it more than like any other movie I'd ever seen in my life. I could yeah. not stop watching this movie. Yeah, and it wasn't until like I I put it down finally and just went away from it. <laughs> and someone asked me, what's your favorite Pixar movie? And it just came to me, and it's like, eh, Toy Story or The Incredibles.
0: Yeah. That's it. It's right there. Yeah, It really doesn't get any better than that. Um, and, you know, some will argue for Finding Nemo, some will argue for WALL-E, some will argue for Ratatouille, whatever. But, yeah, this is just the movie that... Yeah, it was just the most rewatchable. It was the most entertaining. I think it was also... At the time, it felt... Like the most mature. I don't think now when you look back on it, it is the most mature. No, um, but I I just remember this being a, a a Pixar movie that went for it in the way that like say Finding Nemo or Monsters Inc didn't really have the courage to go for it. I think it was the first PG Pixar movie. Is that right? Yeah, which is worth noting. Since then, I think Ratatouille is also PG, um, and that movie kind of gets a little scary. There's a little bit of frightening imagery in that. Um, but I, I remember at the time being like, yeah, this is the animated movie that gets me the most. Like, I'm nine years old. This is exactly what I'm interested in. And maybe if I was, again, 25, the age I am now, when Pixar hit the scene, mm. I would feel a little differently. You know, maybe I would have a softer spot for WALL-E. I would have a softer spot for even Bugs Life. But I-
1: I don't know. It's a hypothetical I don't care about. Because yeah, that's not what happened. Yeah, it's not what happened. Good point. Yeah, <laughs>
0: perfect. It's like, it's like, point. And, it,
1: and it's never going to happen. So don't, don't worry about it it's as far as I'm concerned.
0: Is the reputation of this movie tainted a little bit by the fact that superhero movies are the only movies that get made anymore? <laughs> yes. Does that bother? Yeah, because it yes. bothers me. Yes. Yeah,
1: just a little bit. It's part of the reason why I think I still hold it to Toy Story as my favorite and why like Ratatouille sneaks up there. I know it does come quite close for me. So in a way, yes, I I I I would have to say that. Again, it's so good. It's 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 hard to say that. I don't want to, but man, dude, like <laughs> superhero films became a lot of uh, just very cancerous in a way.
0: Yeah, and it's not fair to the movie, no, because at the time, like it was only the Spider Man movies or yeah. the X Men movies, yeah, and the stuff in here was very creative like Frozone is an awesome superhero yeah. still one of my favorite superheroes in anything like that power is so visually striking
1: again though like the, a lot of the powers in, in this movie are not like wholly original even Frozone but the way they do it here is very unique and yeah. it's fun to see and because it's animated they have a lot more possibilities to work with yeah. and they really go for it like down to just Frozone creating a wave of snow to block this robot it's like it's awesome right. it's so cool and it's and you see it and you believe it that's the other thing about this animation is that it was kind of a step in the right direction and Pixar making their, what would be like, it's like three-dimensional hand-drawn characters. Right. And to to make that as believable as possible. Right. It's something that like, like they've- they really mastered in my opinion.
0: Yeah. There's sort of an imperfection to the perfection, right? Like even if you can't see the eraser marks, mm-hmm. like you can still feel like there's a human being animating these. Figures, oh yeah. The
1: ears know? too is the most noticeable thing. Like oh, yeah. only a human being would have come up with that design choice. Too. Oh yeah. If they, Cause they, they're like these blocks and they don't have any holes in them. And I'm I just love that. Right. I, and I, I, I hate it when people t- talk to me about like th- that, like breaking the immersion. I'm like, it's all, it's all, <laughs> what are you talking about? We're making an animated movie. <laughs> yes. Here. Yeah. We're making a cartoon. Yes, it's it's immersive in its animated style. Right, I can get perfectly involved in it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like you want to be immersed by Bugs Bunny. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) That's what I was going for. That's a good point. (laughs) I don't want to believe a gun can operate like that.
1: You know, (laughs) nothing better than than the guy bending the gun backwards to have Elmer Fudd shoot himself. Yeah, because you can do that, right?
0: Yeah. Why are we going for immersion? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, here's why it's also a wonderful movie. Brad Bird is clearly a very good action filmmaker, uh, as evident by the, you know, Fourth Mission Impossible movie and a bunch of other stuff he did since. Uh, Maybe not Tomorrowland, but you know what I mean. Brad Bird understands action clearly and he used it effectively, that understanding effectively in Iron Giant, and I think it's at its fullest form here. Like, the guy is making a legit action movie with different tools. Mm -hmm. Um, And very rarely do you see like an animator that can make that transition effectively, like he did with Mission Impossible. I really
1: didn't think that he would, too.
0: Yeah. Because it's hard to
1: imagine, in a way, because it's so different, and you're handling elements in such a different way. But yep. he does a r- remarkable job with that. That's my second favorite Mission Impossible movie. So
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, he also did Tomorrowland, and that's I, basically it. But. Yeah, he hasn't really done much besides Incredibles 2 lately. So. Right. So. Yeah, at least he went back to Incredibles too. I like that movie a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. I think since I saw it, maybe my it's shrunk a little bit in estimation, but I think it has for other people too, though. That's the thing. Yeah.
1: They didn't know the people, the word of mouth didn't help. They saw they're like, that was really good, and then they kind of moved on.
0: Here's I hate to say it, but I'm not ju- I'm really not interested in Pixar sequels anymore. No. I'm really not interested. I mean, Leave it alone. I mean, you liked Toy Story Four. I did. I like Toy Story Four as well. No one talked about Toy Story 4 though. Nobody. What the
1: hell happened? Nobody. But I think that was one of the few instances where people were actively going against a Pixar sequel because they're just like, stop it. Yeah.
0: And what it's the a- fuck happened with that movie? I don't know. I mean, I guess it won like best animated movie at the Oscars, so there wasn't that much backlash. Yeah. It did? Yeah. It did. Are you sure? I'm
1: almost positive. That will blow my mind. I mean, I guess that makes some sense. Really good movie, despite what some people will say. It's a good movie. It's just like.
0: Yeah, Best Animated Feature winner. Wow. It did. Yeah, but I, I was
1: surprised by the, like the lack of enthusiasm for it. But I think at it, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to people just saying, you know what, we're we're, we're we 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 do not want it. We're sick of it. We don't like the the fact that you want to make this story at all. Even though I thought the movie more than earned the right to tell that story. Yeah, I was like, okay, I see why you wanted to make the movie. Yeah, just watch the movie. But
0: maybe it's forky.
1: Is it? No, it's not forky. <laughs> maybe it's forky. It's Not forky. Maybe you aren't,
0: people aren't into the forky. No.
1: I love forky. I wouldn't make Forky myself as a kid. No, definitely not. But yeah, Forky's fine. I
0: don't think people like the Forky. It's better than Onward. Have you seen Forky Asks a Question yet? No. On Disney Plus? No. There's a real show called Forky Asks a Question. Is it good? I haven't watched it. I can't tell. Okay.
1: I would have been very upset (laughs) if you'd watched it.
0: I need to cancel the Disney Plus subscription. Actually, no, I can't because Mandalorian's coming in three weeks. Yes, I was about to say it's coming back. God damn it. It's coming back. I paid seven bucks a month for an entire year for one television show. Yes. It's stupid. What am I doing? Stop it with these fucking
1: streaming services. What am I doing? You don't need every single one, Nico. You can actively say, you know what, guys? You know what, friend groups? I'm not really that into the Mandalorian. I don't watch it.
0: Not possible. Uh, Incredibles (laughs) um, is incredible. Yes. Did it ever dawn on you? Have you ever thought about this movie the many times that you've seen it? Have you thought of it as a period piece? (laughs) Yes, actually, I have. Really? Yeah, I've I've frequently thought of it as almost like a 50s period piece in a way. Because it takes place in 1962. Most of the movie takes place in 1962. And I guess it never dawned on me until I read it just now in my research. Oh, no, 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 no. I've always been well. Because there's like computers and shit.
1: No, but it's like, like James Bond high tech esque, you know, where it's like, this is the way like early James Bond films looked and felt. And that's kind of the point, even down to the music in a sense.
0: Mr. Incredible uses a computer in the office scene when he's at work. He's on the, there were no office computers in 1962. Yeah. A little
1: anachronistic sure, but Hey, it's fun. There's also, there's like camcorders in this movie. Yeah. There were
0: no camcorders in 62.
1: No, but it still carries a lot of
0: that aesthetic.
1: You know, the place they live in is literally just, uh, uh, Larry's house and a serious man. So
0: I suppose that's true.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, the music in this movie by Michael Giacchino rocks is amazing. Kick's ass. It's fucking dope. Kick's ass. And if they ever, if they ever do a cowboy beat live action, they got to get him to, to do it because it's like. Literally, he's just ripping off Cowboy Bebop the entire time. But it's know, good.
0: I don't know what any of that means, but I'll go with it.
1: Just listen to Tank, and it's just like, oh, I see what, she, what he's talking about. Okay. And Cowboy Bebop came first, goddammit.
0: <laughs> Got it.
1: Sideways. <laughs> sideways. Sideways.
0: I'm a little sideways right now. Mm. Aren't we all? Directed by Alexander Payne, starring Paul Giamatti, Thomas Hayden Church, Virginia Madsen, and Sandra O. Oh. Winner of best adapted screenplay at the oscars it was always also nominated for best picture best director supporting actor and supporting actress two men reaching middle age with not much to show but disappointment embark on a week-long road trip through california's wine country just as one is about to take a trip down the aisle does it get any more nico than this no (laughs) no the the answer is no
1: (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna make a short film okay because uh, you, you struggle with a lot of Paul Giamatti's anxieties in this movie frequently. Oh, yeah. I'm going to make a short film. Okay. It's going to be about, I don't know, 10 seconds long. Uh-huh. It's going to be a, a black room with a lit couch. A guy comes into frame, sits down on it, looks into the camera, just goes like this. <sighs> I'm nothing. Fade to black, Finn. And you will love the movie. <laughs> you might like the movie, Nico.
0: I do have a thing for men in a middle life crisis. I really do. It is. I just have a soft spot. This is
1: the movie that made me go like. He likes every single movie like this. <laughs> what is it about these? No, movies? no, Adam. I love every single movie it's, like this. <laughs> I am nothing. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful. I'm nothing too. What? <laughs> what? Why? 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 Why do you like this? There's stuff? a
0: line in this movie <laughs> where Thomas Hayden Church turns to Paul Giamatti after having sex with Sandra Oh the night before, uh, they're, they're out there in, in, uh, in wine country in Napa Valley. And he says to Paul Giamatti after a night of just incredibly passionate sex, he says, Miles, I went deep last night. <laughs> And Paul Giamatti dismisses him with this roll of the eye and just goes, yeah, you went deep last night. (laughs) That's my life. Yeah. Dudes around me who are much cooler than me going, I went deep and me going, fuck you. You went deep. (laughs) Like this movie gets me, man. Like I just feel like I am miles all the time. I see men around me having passionate sex and all I wanna do is sit here and just drink my wine and and you know, and criticize Merlot. Oh,
1: well <laughs> well you are miles in those scenes where it's like the guy, the idiot friend, whoever it may be, comes in, it's like I just I, I've changed my life with this woman last yeah. night, and you're just like, go to hell. Yeah. Fuck yourself. That's you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not with the wine drinking sequences though. Now this is true. This is me. Right. I am Paul Giamatti. whenever I'm assessing the wine. I'm correct. Like, i correct. I would be the guy that's like, no, 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 Nico. Don't, don't hold it there. You got to hold it by the stem. Correct. If you hold it by the, the glass, it denatures some of the proteins and then it changes the temperature. And when you do that, it actually affects the taste. You're not going to get some of those rich sensations that you would get otherwise. Right. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. That would be
0: me. Go to hell. I will say, though, I saw this movie, and if it were not for my uh, issues, (laughs) I would be an obsessive wine drinker. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, this movie makes wine drinking look so fucking sexy is there
1: any other movie that is this about wine though no i i unreal because i hadn't seen it in its entirety i'd seen like half of it uh-huh. and i didn't realize like this movie is about wine <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> it, what it is. is much of like what we learn about these characters is expressed through their experiences
0: with just drinking wine <laughs> and you know what Th- this is gonna sound like i'm reaching here but we just did a movie on why is this a thing called over the top and we were just talking about arm wrestling in that movie and how arm wrestling it's a silly premise but it's not uh, the focus of that movie in any way. Like that movie... If it's going to be about arm wrestling, make it about arm wrestling. Say something about these characters through the silly act of arm wrestling. Don't make arm wrestling a, an afterthought. This movie, you're 100% right, tells you something about these characters through their experience with wine. This movie is about wine drinkers. The poster has the two main characters trapped in a wine bottle, tipped sideways, you know? And I, I really do appreciate the passion that. Alexander Payne has for wine, and the passion that Paul Giamatti's character of Miles has towards wine. Mm -hmm. You know, it it, there's something very admirable about that, and I love movies that are that obsessive and that detail oriented.
1: I I kind of relate to it in that way too. Like that great scene when they go back to the girls' houses, and he's just chatting with Maya about why he likes Pinot so so much. Yeah, and it sounds so stupid when it starts. Right? Why do you like Pinot? What's your obsession with Pinot? And he gives like a beautiful explanation. Right. That I, I never would have thought of. about. But like I, I, the thin skin, right? The thin skin, you have to take constant care of it. It's oh, not God. like it's not like Cabernet where it could just grow anywhere. Which he's right about, by the way.
0: I'm gonna fucking uh, cry
1: right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like You're you, choking me up right now. <laughs> Nico, I love this movie. That's so fucking good. <laughs> it's fucking it's so great. Really good. This movie's amazing. My, my only nitpick yep. is that I I, I wish uh, uh, Thomas Hayden Church's character got more comeuppance than he did. Yeah. I wish he never got married because I don't like his character. I mean, he's a great, wonderfully. I mean, dra-
0: it's an unbelievable
1: performance. Wonderfully though. drawn character, yeah. and 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 it's a great performance. But it's just like I fucking hate this person. Yeah. I do not like that person. Of course. Before. I went D <laughs> oh my God, fuck
0: off. My father and I say that to each other all
1: the time <laughs> all the time i went deep he's Fuck l- you you went deep he's laying on top of paul giamatti <laughs> pressing his cheek against him he's like oh my boy i'm so proud of you <laughs> details i need details details <laughs> there's nothing to say <laughs> you a homo <laughs> you know what yes write it in my book i'm a homo write whatever you want to say what's the name of his book the day after
0: yesterday yeah So today? So today? Well, yes, but it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Thomas Hayden Church, let me be very clear, is not a good actor. Is a bad actor. (laughs) I would call him a bad actor. Maybe. I I mean, he's good at this. This is his by far and away best performance. I would say it's his only good performance. He's
1: very, very good at playing a moron. Yeah. My God. Because he is a moron. I've never seen just a fucking idiot played so spectacularly. He's really good at this.
0: Yeah. You, but you look at him, and it's like, it's Spider-Man 3, he's he's a buffoon. Yeah. Like, he's so non-threatening in that movie. It's a major th- flaw with Spider-Man 3. Um, but here, like, yeah, you're 100% right. Something about his look, about his physique, the fact that he's so big, mm-hmm. it's, he really does look like an orangutan in this movie. You know what I mean? He looks like an ape yeah and he taught but he talks like
1: this like lovable almost like hippie dude yeah always trying to make sure that miles is okay and looking on the bright side of things yeah you know but it's he's so at the same time he's just so selfish but he's
0: not admirable in like the ferris bueller way like when you watch ferris bueller and cameron like it's sort of a similar relationship one guy is very outgoing and eccentric and he's trying to take cameron out of his shell um but here, yeah, you loathe him. He's not you don't wanna be Thomas Hayden Church, mm-hmm. even though he's very comfortable being himself. Yes. Like you would still rather be Miles. As much as like Thomas Hayden Church is the one getting married and he's the one having all of this passionate sex, and Paul Giamatti is just a snobby wine drinker who's a divorcee and a struggling author, you still would rather be the struggling divorcee, you know? You would still rather be that guy.
1: No, I, th- I thought the exact same thing, though, especially since like it's, it's very uplifting towards uh, uh, Paul Giamatti's character towards the end and his relationship with Maya. And I was kind of worried that it was going to end on sort of a drowsy note that just leaves you feeling unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there is an element of this story that needs him to go back to Maya. Can you just do that? Right. And then it does that. And it does that. And I was very, very happy with that. But and- doesn't
0: overplay its hand at all.
1: No, I mean, it ends on him do- knocking on the door. Yeah. Which is perfect. That's all you need to do.
0: Right. Yeah, the scene where he's drinking the wine in a paper cup at the fast food oh restaurant my
1: god, so, so heartbreaking. Really
0: clever stuff, though. Yeah. I love
1: everything they do with his character. <laughs> right Right down to how over the top it is when he pours all that wine over his face. But I, I, I was like, yeah, yeah, this character would definitely do that in this moment. Uh-huh. Fill it up again. <laughs> Fill my bottle all the way to the top. I wish I could do a good Paul Giamatti impression. The spit bucket. Dude, mm. the spit bucket. He's drinking out of the spit bucket yeah it's disgusting i am
0: not drinking fucking merlot
1: (laughs) maybe my favorite line of the entire movie if anybody orders merlot i'm leaving i am not drinking any fucking merlot so good okay all right no merlot i love the way he talks (laughs) tastes pretty good to me
0: every time he says that line that's pretty tasty Following the film's U.S. release in October 2004, Merlot sales dropped 2%, (laughs) while Pinot Noir sales increased 16%. Oh, my God. Can you imagine?
1: It was that monologue. Yeah. And people were like, is that really what it takes to make Merlot? Wow. Wow. I love Merlot, too, now that I think about it
0: it's an unbelievable I mean, scene Pino, Pino. yeah, Pinot. <laughs> the, yeah no, the, the, the dialogue in that scene is unbel- because he's talking about himself yeah, yeah yeah because he's actually revealing something about his character by describing something so innocuous and at no point am i bothered by like the snobbery the onophilia of it all i guess is the term that you would use at first it's funny it's just like
1: my god really like well, stick your nose in it. Yeah. It's a, it's a tinge of chocolate and some, fr- some, some fruit. I don't know what that is. is this a, it's a little – it's a spice of some kind. But I can also detect some aromas of strawberries in there as well. That's really good. Mm. It, it It's harsh, but boy, is it intoxicating. I'll take two bottles, please. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> right. That That is a level of commitment to something that nobody gives a fuck about. Yeah. And – it's one of the more relatable scene where he's talking about his love for Pinot. I just love that because it's nice to see a character like put down his walls and for him to talk about something that a lot of people might not be as interested in. Mm. But Maya, in that moment, just like loves his level of commitment and passion and love for wine in general, specifically Pinot. Yeah. And she just kind of falls for him for his. For his just like earnesty, it's like oh, this is where his heart is, and I love that about this man. Hundred percent, it's, it's great.
0: It's a great relationship. The mm-hmm. dialogue between the two of them, it, especially when they're in that, it's like a trailer, right? They're in together. It's it's where Sandra O's character it, lives. It might be a trailer park, but it's like a it's like a house. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. But when they're uh, when when he tries kissing her, and mm-hmm. they have that awkward conversation outside, like. There is so much sexual tension here. Mm-hmm. And to think that Paul Giamatti is capable of doing that, it really is unbelievable. He's such a great actor. Yeah. I mean, there's so many guys like him. There's nothing
1: <laughs> appealing about him physically, yeah. which is why it works so well just to see him break through to that Yeah, and why it's so great to see him get with, th- with this woman, man. Yeah. Paul Giamatti is just remarkable in this middle. This is another movie where, for me at least, a lot of it is driven by that character. Yeah. And I just watch it for him. Everything he does is great, even if at times like a lot of his antics might get a little repetitive. I just love the repetition.
0: Yeah, sure. Give me more of it. And also, it's a genuinely hilarious movie, like the guy with his dick hanging out, running outside of the house, like that image. is forever seared in my brain. That whole thing is hilarious and it works. The sex scene where he he goes back inside to
1: get the wallet and (laughs) just... Oh man. Okay. But in that moment, this is another moment where it's like, I was flip flopping characters where it's like, I never, I never felt like Thomas Hayden church's character, but I was like jumping in and out of Paul Giamatti. And it's like, yeah. oh, this, uh, this is when I would be like him. Uh-huh. Like in that moment with the wallet, I would be the, the guy to be like, like with my buddy. And I'm like, where is the wallet? <laughs> just, just wait here. And I would get the wallet. You better believe I would get the wallet. Right. (laughs) Running out of there, scared for my life from an angry naked man. Yeah. (laughs) Who's going to kill me with a crowbar. So incredible. So (laughs) incredible. I got your wallet. (laughs) (laughs) I love the gesture he makes.
0: It's perfect. (sighs) I love it. I'm glad you love it, too. Yeah, it's great. This is really one of my favorite movies ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell. And yeah, obviously. I knew it like half a second in.
1: <laughs>
0: always, yeah, I, I, I get it. This is Nico written all over it. Here's another one of my favorite movies ever made. Mm. It's called Collateral. And it's directed by Michael Mann, starring Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Mark Ruffalo, very briefly. Mm-hmm. One of the hilarious things about this movie is that Mark Ruffalo is in it. He's good in it, though. And then he dies very early on. Yeah. Uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Best Film Editing a cab driver finds the hostage of an engaging contract killer as he makes his rounds from hit to hit during one night in Los Angeles. We've talked a lot about Michael Mann. Talked about Heat. Talked about The Insider. Talked about Manhunter. Collateral is my favorite Michael Mann movie. <laughs> Number one. Yeah. With a bullet. Mm-hmm. And uh took me a while to realize that. For a while there, I thought it was Heat. I thought Heat is like such a Nico movie. And uh, I've watched both of them a million times. But the more I watch this one, the more I am drawn to this over the other. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm flipping through cable. Fucking love it. It's actually my favorite Michael Mann movie as well. Hey, high five. Look at that.
1: Look at that. We did it. We finally did it. <laughs> <laughs> we, have a, the,
0: we share a favorite for directors. That never happens. Never. Ever. Never. And it's funny that it's this one, too, because there are so many other obvious choices. Like, you can go with Thief. You can go with Manhunter. You can go with Heat. And The Insider, I think, is right up there with me as well. I think The Insider might be my number two. Uh, but this is like, you know, kind of a forgotten early 2000s Tom Cruise action movie. I know.
1: I know. It's little, though. It's a, it's a little, little movie, despite like how it's sort of sprawling without how it treks across L.A. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't really know why it's it's forgotten because it is really, really good just as this a- action thriller. And it's everything about it works down to the direction and the taut nature of it all. It's kind of scary at times too. Uh-huh. Um, and also just its portrayal of L.A. And there's no one better to portray L.A. than Michael Mann. He's shot this movie digitally. Yes. Funny enough. It's which one, I
0: wanted to talk about
1: actually. One of the f- first notable digital films to come out and uh aside from um, star wars episode one right but that's a little bigger this one had much smaller means and it's very obviously shot on hd cameras the sort of like low res hd cameras i mean the probably the best you could find but still that's
0: what it. that's what it is you could tell that the technology was not quite there yet yeah there are scenes specifically that take place indoors outdoors it's not that much of a problem but when they're like inside a well-lit office building like you get that soap opera effect Mm -hmm. and sort of the, the way that the images move, there's a lot of like motion blur happening. Um, and I think at the time, this was actually one of the major criticisms of the movie that it just doesn't look as sharp as he, it doesn't look as sharp as the insider for a guy that is such a visual filmmaker, like an overwhelming visual filmmaker. But I'll tell you what, the more I go back to it, the more that that digital filmmaking works on me. I mean, I've never had an issue with it. There's something very I don't know. What is it though? Like what is that specific effect? Because I can't figure it out.
1: It's it's weird because there's like a tangible quality to it, and it's actually grittier than something like heat visually. Yeah, because of that, like like it, which is ironic because heat is is shot on film and film usually has the grit, but here it's very obviously the opposite effect because the cameras aren't quite there. Yeah. It lends to the story perfectly fine though. It lends to just like the the exhaustive nature of the movie where you're constantly on the go and you never have a chance to settle into like what could be a pretty background, but the movie doesn't care about that. Right. And it also just portrays the look of LA like incredibly accurately. A lot of people have said that, you know, People love the way L.A. is presented in Drive and people love the way L- L.A. is presented in, in a more ambitious sense and, you know, some futuristic films. But here there's just something so honest and real about it. Like a lot of people have seen this movie and said, like, that's kind of what it's like. Yeah. And, and it's strange to think that, oh, it would be a movie where they had like some few setups and they were just kind of going with the flow. And it, it just I don't know. I don't know. There's just something very real
0: about it. Well, I- it, it is one of the few movies that like uses L.A. or portrays L.A. as a metropolis, which is uh, not usually what you would portray L.A. as. It's not the way you think about like the '90s Quentin Tarantino movies or like even the Big Lebowski. Like those are movies. Uh, all really. It, paul thomas anderson same thing like those are movies that mostly take place in diners and there's a lot of palm trees and they're very well lit and it does give you a sense that la is just like this sprawling sort of ecosystem where wannabe screenwriters type away on typewriters and diners yep you know and this as well as Heat, by the way focuses on that downtown as far as i can tell i've never been to la but as far as i can tell like not a lot of time is spent downtown down downtown la is not like the place to be unless you're seeing a lakers game <laughs> and so um you know he really sort of makes la feel like new york but it's not quite new york you know and that's sort of what i appreciate about this movie like those drone shots of all of those highways and byways mm. and all of those skyscrapers there's not a ton of skyscrapers in la um it, it really does give it a sense that it is this congested metropolis where no one gives a shit, you know, who's who, who's in the backseat of your cab. You know what I True. mean? Yeah. It's just packed. It's just packed to
1: the brim, like even in the small areas where there are no. It's really um, seedy and it's really lonely. Yeah. It's that it's like that. It reminds it. It's a strange comparison to make. It kind of ropes to that like shot in Slumdog Millionaire where the camera's going out and out and out in Mumbai. And it's just those oh. houses just pushed together almost like conforming to one another yeah it just feels like a place you can't escape right it's very much kind of the way it is here with LA it's just and it's just like in a way there's like that kind of strange emptiness to it yes what I love about this movie is that they're in like a densely populated city even still where everything is just pushed together but
0: it's there's a loneliness to it well there's not a lot of people on the streets no there's not a ton of traffic there's not a ton of like when they get out in those office buildings they're empty offices Yep, and I know it takes place at night, but there really aren't like a lot of just hangers around. The most congested scene is in the nightclub. Yep, you know, but it really is same thing with Heat, by the way. As a matter of fact, during the heist scene in Heat, there they take over that town, and there's a big shootout in town. But there are very little civilians actually around in that scene. Mm-hmm. You know, and it does give you this sense that this is a this is an empire that was built, but there's really no one here to enjoy it. Yeah,
1: there's like a ghost town effect to this. Yeah, you know, kind of this neo noir element too, which yeah. I really really like. And yeah, it, it, it kind of adds to like the, the, the eeriness to the movie because I, I do hold to that. Like the movie is like just as thrilling as it can be scary at times. Yeah. But, and I mean, Tom Cruise is really good in the movie. Oh,
0: Tom Cruise is amazing in this movie.
1: I hate to say it. He's but he, freaking amazing. But he's really, movie.
0: really good in this. Movie. Come on, dude. Yep. He's so good. Maybe a top three Tom Cruise performance.
1: <laughs> the first time where he reveals what he's capable of to those muggers in the alley. And it's just like a one shot where of him just shooting them like like twice in the sternum, once in the head. And yeah. then he just shoots the guy on the ground who's not quite dead. Yet. Yeah, by the way, gun sounds by Michael Mann. You di- you got it. You, you he nails it every time. You understand it better than any other filmmaker. And I love it. No
0: one has figured it out yet. No, no one has figured out how to mic up bullet sounds but it really is incredible these are pitch perfect yeah. oh my
1: and it's fucking terrifying when it happens
0: yeah uh yeah cruz is the terminator in this movie yeah he is as terrifying as arnold was in that original terminator mm-hmm. um <laughs> that last scene i mean he really is like a robot everything from that look like his perfect skin and that perfect bleach blonde hair and that perfect outfit he has on He's so charismatic and he still has that Tom Cruise thing, but I wish he did this more. I wish he like subverted the expectation of Tom Cruise more. I wish he used that as like a force for evil and not good. You know what I mean? Well, this is why I like the movie as
1: so much as well because I like Tom Cruise when he's being sort of a dick or he's yeah. being a villain. I like him a lot in Tropic Thunder for that reason. Oh my god, so good in that. But even here it's like, "Oh, Tom Cruise is a villain." I haven't seen this Ever. Oh, my God. And he does it really, really well. It's like something I just feel like he's he's tailored for. But for some reason, he's a movie star. He can't ever play a villain.
0: But part of the reason why it works is because his character has to look like Tom Cruise. That's why he's threatening so that you can accept him. It's why you let him in the cab in the first place. It's why you're willing to drive him around for $600. He looks like a well-to-do businessman. Like I would trust this guy, but something's not quite right. And he also captures that perfectly because, you know what? Something just not quite right with Tom Cruise. It's great casting. It is amazing casting, and man understands this. Man has always been really good at casting his movies. And also like the supporting part of it all, like Jamie
1: Foxx playing this... Scared guy who's also not stupid, where it takes a while for him to become comfortable and just adjust to it and, and start to use his wits to his advantage. It's so natural, mm-hmm. and it's very organic to see him break free of that. And I, I I, just think it's it's funny. It's They're like friends and adversaries at the same time. It's, yeah. it's a really weird... It's an amazing
0: relationship. Yeah, interesting relationship that I haven't seen done, I think, ever before. I will say this. The one thing that pushes it over the edge for me when I'm comparing it to Heat is... The relationship between De Niro and Pacino just does not work for me in that movie. I love the cat and mouse game. I love the final sequence. I love all that shit. I love the action. I, I love the dialogue. When they get to that fucking diner, it does not work for you. It's never, it's it, never worked for me. It works for a lot of people. I know it so, does. But... And I, I am not convinced that the reason why is because, oh, it's Pacino and De Niro on screen together. I know, I know. I know. You know, this movie, the dialogue here is so much better written it is so more well-defined it is so much more believable the relationship and it's because they take their damn time they don't just shove them into a scene together and make them talk about their motivations for five minutes they slowly parse it out and they are they they come to understand one another and they come to you know understand each other's behavior and they start to empathize with one another Mm -hmm. and then that makes that final scene that much more terrifying because now it's a villain that we know that's coming from my girlfriend you know, or coming from my love interest.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it ramps up the stakes in a way that it wouldn't have worked otherwise. Cause I do agree to an extent where it's like, there are some elements to heat that aren't, they, they, they don't, they don't, it's not even that they don't take their time in heat. They just don't even bother it with certain instances. Mm-hmm. I do like the, 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 the cat and mouse element here where it's like half of what Jamie Foxx is doing is just sort of like, like out of instinct trying to, 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 to help, um tom cruise's character but at a certain point he's simultaneously trying to get away from him yeah and that sort of uh, interplay that's kind of whirling around in his head but then also from the audience perspective not being totally sure whether or not tom cruise is going to kill him in any given moment right you're not sure if he's serious about letting him like keep some money or if at the end of it all he's just going to
0: shoot him right it it really is the script here and it's a script that michael mann hasn't had before no Um, he is super fascinated with the thin line between cop and criminal. We know this. He's made the same movie about 10 times (laughs) over. Um, But this is the sort of the, the, the movie that takes that theme the most seriously and really fletches it out and really drills down to the bone here. What's going on. And it also happens to be just like the sleekest looking movie I've ever seen in my life. Like, it's just so fucking sexy. The camera movement here is so immaculate. And it's it's just like, it's so fucking awesome, man. It's just awesome. I mean, I I like it for those reasons, too. I mean, sleek. I, I, I... in, oh, come
1: on in a way i'm not sure i'd describe this as sleep the per, shadows in that office <laughs> building at the end
0: of this movie oh
1: my god no i but again this is part of the reason i like it is because it's imperfect yeah and because it feels a little more more relatable and i don't want to say relatable it's like but it feels more more tangible yeah. Like you could touch this stuff it's like but again that's because it's it, it's gritty and imperfect and he's shooting it on this camera and it feels a little more close Uh, closer to home because of that it's just like ooh, like i'm feeling this actually happen right now so like yeah i I, part of the reason i like it more is because of its
0: its level of imperfection okay so one nitpick though what just the one is a perfect movie otherwise just the one (laughs) that fucking scene with the coyote where they're driving around and the coyote crosses the street and the audio slave song starts playing and for like 30 seconds, Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx are just staring at a coyote. And like it's supposed to mean something, I guess. According to my research, quote, uh, when they leave Club Fever, a coyote crosses the road and the Native American Navajos have an omen that can be considered as a taboo. They say that if a coyote crosses your path, turn back and do not continue your journey. If you keep traveling, something terrible will happen to you. You will There will be an accident. You'll be hurt or you'll be killed. Um, So apparently there was some, like, symbolism there. And listen, I love me some Chris Cornell. Rest in peace to the goat Chris Cornell. But the most cheesy early 2000s action moment I can remember. (laughs) So bad. Cringeworthy. Okay, so bad. <laughs> I don't remember it being that bad. It's really bad. It's a movie moment, though. Like, and I get maybe
1: that's why it would stick out, like next to everything else in this movie. It this this almost feel feels like it was shot in documentary fashion at yeah. times. Yeah, and to see that play out is a little jarring. I would say, I don't know. It's the song. Why is Audio Slave playing? It, is it, right it now? just the? Do you have it's an a big isu- part of it? Do you have the issue? Oh, that, that's my question. Do you have an issue with Audio Slave or the Coyote?
0: I love coyotes and I love Audio Slave. I don't like them together. Okay. Okay. Which would you No, I don't think I don't <laughs> I th- think like the music of Audio Slave works in like in film. That's what <laughs> I just don't think like we should be scoring music to Chris Cornell. I'll jam out to Chris Cornell every day. I don't sure. give a shit. Yeah. I am the highway motherfucker. <laughs>
1: love it. He's got my favorite Bond song of uh the Daniel Craig movies. So. Is that right? It's my favorite Bond song. So Really? Yeah. Better by, than Skyfall? Yeah, by a, actually a significant margin. Yeah. And I like Skyfall, but not as much as that.
0: Have you heard his cover of the uh, of the song Patience? Was that a Guns N' Roses song? No. He just, they he didn't put it out. The estate put it out like a couple months ago. It's uh, really good. Okay. Yeah, I would listen to it. Um, anyway, yeah, that's collateral. Perfect movie, except for the coyote. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. Okay.
1: I think this is actually a tough choice. Yeah. I don't really know what to do here. I like this. I like it when we come down to these ones that, that aren't blatantly obvious. Yeah. I, uh, just, oh.
0: What would you cross off first? <laughs> uh, <laughs> collateral? No. Yeah. No. I'm not crossing it off first. Yeah. Not doing it.
1: Uh, then, I don't know. Uh, sideways?
0: Not doing that either. Those are my two favorite movies of the year.
1: Yeah. What are uh, you doing to me? Come on, man. All right. Let's talk. This through. <laughs> let's talk this through. Oh. <laughs> Adam, calm down. Yeah, calm- <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> Dave, uh, take it easy. Now. Let the marching band <laughs> go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> take it easy. Um. All right. We just established earlier in the podcast that there is a giant gap in our movie hall of fame list where comedies belong. Yes. I think there are, there is a substantial underrepresentation of comedies. I think that animated films, there's enough of them. Toy Story is already in the movie hall of fame and I love me the Incredibles. But if we're really holding up The Incredibles as the best cinema can do in 2004, I think we're reaching a little bit. Sure. Do you agree with that? Sure. So we good to cross off The Incredibles. (laughs) Sure. Are you sure you don't want to make an argument for Spider-Man (laughs) 2? When when we do our Spider-Man podcast, I'll make an argument for that one. All right. We'll cross off The Incredibles then. Now, sideways and collateral, those are just one and one A for me. (laughs) If it were up to me, one of those movies would get in. And one of them is a comedy, in fairness, so that would sort of... You know, well, the insider's in. Don't that's forget. true.
1: Don't forget, we have the insider. That is true because it's awesome, and because it's like a that's a one in one a scenario with me for Michael Mann. I fucking love the insider. Yeah, me too. Yeah,
0: now we really line up on Michael Mann, don't we? Yeah, Michael Mann's dope. I just consider him a god among men, and you just consider him a good filmmaker. Yes, I think that's the difference. He's not
1: like the best filmmaker working today, and I don't think he's ever been like one of the greats. Uh, he might be. He's 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 very good though. Very good um i guess if you want to cross off mean girls you can go ahead and do that
0: well i don't know if of those three comedies is that the worst maybe how would you rank the comedies i mean it depends on what you're ranking like which
1: do i think is the most blatantly funny or which is the best movie the best movie shawn of the dead mm-hmm. uh the funniest is Anchorman. right so i guess by default you'd have to say mean girls
0: does it have a better legacy than those other two because mm. i think anchorman is still the one that people quote the most it's it's anchorman
1: is, is quoted more i mean mean girls might be more popular technically it doesn't have i'm not sure if it has the same level of uh uh i don't know i don't know i feel like anchorman is still a little more ubiquitous amongst people
0: okay let's cross off collateral then <laughs> let's do that i do think sideways is the best movie of the year that's my opinion that is my humble opinion because it's, it's a you a you movie. It's not better than Shaun of the Dead. Oh, that's not true. Yeah.
1: It's not, dude. That's it's not good. It's it's it, in fact, like I'm I'm serious. I loved Sideways. I lo- I absolutely loved it. As a film, it's not better than Shaun of the Dead though. Okay, so you're saying Mean Girls is the worst comedy? It's <laughs> I hate saying that. It's awesome. No, it's, Mean Girls is a great great comedy and I love it. Uh-huh. I love Man, I love every movie on this list. Has that ever happened before? No. It hardly ever happens. I love
0: every single movie. I love list. them all too. <sighs> that certainly has never happened. Yeah. <laughs> where well, we both agreed on it. Okay, then talk to me, Ben. You seem to have a clear idea of where you want to go with this, so go ahead. Uh, Boy, boy,
1: I don't know. Because for me, it's, uh, it's, it's Anchorman or it's Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, That's where my heart is. I don't know.
0: All right, you'd like to cross off sideways then? <laughs> I guess so. All right, we've got two left.
1: <laughs> what do you want to do? <laughs> I, okay, because uh, it always comes down to this stupid what argument. What do you want to do? It always comes down to this stupid ass argument. Go is, ahead. Is there a chance we do an Edgar Wright pod? No. No chance? No. No chance. Then give it to Shaun of the Dead. It's as simple as that.
0: <laughs> okay, well, then I guess I have no choice. Oh, wait. You have vetoes. Veto (laughs) button! (laughs) Woo! Congratulations to Sideways! Ah. Entering the Movie Hall of Fame! You used it though.
2: Yes!
1: It's gone, Yes! It's gone. Veto! Don't forget, I have two. You do have two. Yeah. There goes mine. I'm glad you remembered it. That's too bad. Because, motherfucker, I, I, am sa- <laughs> <laughs> I am saving those.
0: <laughs> had to do it. All right. Had to do it. You left me no choice. You had a full-on assault of all my favorite movies just now. <laughs> you knocked them off one by one. Because <laughs> to me, it's pretty obvious. It's
1: either the, it's, it's one of those two, and it's not really that close. Wow. Yeah. It's okay. just a debate uh, between those two for me personally. Okay. As much as I love every other movie on the list.
0: I love them all. I think it was a good year. I do. I think 2004 was a good year. And I think the right movie won at the end of the day. Okay, whatever. We had to use no, an no, orthodox method, no, no, but no, no, we no. got there. Y- y- your movie won. Let's be very, very clear here. Damn, straight. <laughs> damn <laughs> straight. The right movie it's won. It's about time I won one yeah, of j- these. Just say
1: that. It's about damn time. <laughs> you don't have to say the movie won. You have to say I won. That, 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 that's
0: what it is. That's what it comes down to. That's right. I did win. You won. Okay. <laughs> and I know what I've opened. I know I've opened Pandora's box it's Okay. I know I'm in for a world of pain. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be,
1: I mean, yeah, I'll be even more devious about this than you, than you think. Okay. You don't know how devious my plans are. I don't know. I have some ideas. Okay.
0: Cool. Sideways.
1: Godfather three, baby. It's getting in.
0: (laughs) All right. Next week we're doing the movies of 1963. Finally. Um, and again, we nominated these five. It's a mad, 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 mad world. High and low. The Birds, Eight and a Half, and The Great Escape. Excited? Yep. Cool. Anything
1: else you want to mention before we get out of here? I guess that's it. I'm I'm gonna rewatch uh, Eight and a Half, and I'm gonna watch High and Low, and that's that's it. That's that's good. Mm-hmm. I guess I I haven't seen The Birds in quite a while. I'll, although I remember, I gave that a
0: rewatch last night. I
1: remember it quite or two nights ago, I should say. I remember it pretty vividly. Aside from like the 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 first like twenty minutes, I don't remember
0: that very well. yeah Yeah. uh it is a movie that i i uh i will say has grown in my estimation since the first time i saw it yeah yeah it's actually gotten better i've always liked the well no no it's an interesting conversation because i've always liked the birds but
1: i'm i'm probably right there with you yeah (laughs) i just haven't moved yeah yeah
0: it's uh it's interesting i i've been actually on a hitchcock kick lately. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I caught it. I watched Rope for the first time. I caught up on some of like his older movies. I hadn't seen Saboteur, uh, I was, Suspicion. No, uh, I haven't seen either of those. So. A bunch of that stuff. I watched a little bit of Vertigo again. That movie's so fucking amazing. You've seen Notorious. I have not seen Notorious. You like Notorious. I know. That's the one that I've heard. Yeah. I need to check out. And there's Rebecca, which they're
1: doing like a remake of on Netflix. <laughs> Are they? Yeah. Who's doing it? I don't know. I have no idea. It's a uh, I don't know who that girl is who's in it, but I think she's in baby driver. I want to say that's her. I'm not sure, but Rebecca's pretty good uh
0: the the, the uh yeah
1: the the cute one right what the fuck is her name Lily James Lily yeah, yeah no, yeah Lily James that's right, that's right, right Lily James, yeah, Lawrence Olivier is in that movie yeah it's it's not my favorite of his though honestly uh yeah, Ben Wheatley's doing it oh well, that that's interesting. I might watch that now, Ben Wheatley,
0: huh yeah. Okay. This is very interesting. Huh. All right. All right. With Lily James and Army Hammer. All right. All right. And what is it? It's a show? What? No, it's a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a movie. October 21st. All right. I didn't know that. Interesting. All right. Well, we got some interesting stuff then to watch. It is fall movie season, by the way. I know it doesn't feel like it, but it is fall movie season. (laughs) There's no movie season. The movie season does not exist. It's coming. It's coming. We got a Sofia Coppola movie coming coming. out. We got uh, uh, a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. I love that. We got Sofia Coppola and uh, And, a lot of stuff. Mank is coming, right? We got an Aaron Sorkin movie coming out in three weeks. I don't care about
1: the Aaron Sorkin movie, but like Mank and, and the Sofia Coppola movie, is that it? There should be more. I feel like there's more. There's not. (laughs) Dune's going to get delayed tomorrow. Yeah. Is that right?
0: Probably. (laughs) No, there's stuff.
1: Nico. Borat 2? Nico, there's no stuff. (laughs) Subsequent movie film? (laughs) There's no stuff. (laughs) There is no stuff. There is zero stuff. It's okay.
0: Oh, man, that's just the lost movie season. What yes. the hell's happening, man? Yeah. This really makes me upset.
1: Well, we'll, we'll get prepped for Sofia Coppola, I guess, for Rebecca and Mank. And that's it? Yeah. Yeah. And then we're done with the fall? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. But hey, maybe David Fincher will finally win Best Director. I don't know. <laughs> this is
0: gonna be season. a lot of david fincher talk coming up man dude the oscar season i don't even know if what, what are they gonna do i don't know what is their plan i don't know bad boys too for best picture i guess <laughs> seriously what, what is the best picture front runner right now that has come out so far that you can say is a contender a contender yeah is it tenant no what is it <laughs> i don't know defy bloods <laughs> yes that's the yes. closest thing we have yes. right that, that's it delroy lindo is like the is the only best actor Contender now, right? I could still see him getting it though. Yeah, I think so. Really good. But that's
1: it, man. That is it.
0: It's a rough year. Yeah, what do you want? It's just a rough year. Boy State might be my favorite movie of the year. Yeah, for me.
1: Well, boy, what is my number one? I don't remember. Boy State's up there though. I certainly hope things start
0: turning around soon because yikes. I don't know. Or maybe we just say, fuck it. Let's hunt to 2021. That's what it is. That's what everybody's been doing. PTA's new movie comes out next year, and yeah. it'll be great. All right. That's it. Love y'all so very, very much. Join our Discord. Get in on the action. Debate with us. We love debating. Except about the debate. I don't want to debate about the no. debate. You got better
1: things to do, people. Seriously. Yeah. You <laughs> got much, much better things to do. Be honest with yourselves. Uh, uh, that's it. Until next time. Rick, where'd you get a hand grenade? I don't know.